Hello again, folks. It's Marty Ross, your Aaron storyteller, here with another tale of mystery and magic. Um, it's quite a wee while since I last gave you one of my stories. Um, sorry about that, folks, but I've been uh, busy elsewhere. Where have you been, Marty? You ask. What's happened to you? Well, I've been, I've been caught up. I've had a, a lot of work on. Um, for a start, I've been uh, working as a writer, as a dramatist. Um, dramatising, well, I'm halfway through dramatising three Charles Dickens novels in a row for Audible Studios. Uh, grand scale audio dramas. Uh, with my executive producer being no less a fellow than uh, Mr. Sam Mendes, uh, director of films like uh, Skyfall and American Beauty and Road to Perdition. And so I'm doing a set of uh, sequence of three Charles Dickens adaptations on the grandest possible scale. Um, the first of them, Oliver Twist, uh, was released just before Christmas, um, starring that great, great Scots actor, um, Brian Cox, I get the chance to work with him. Uh, I'm also featuring uh, Daniel Kaluuya, a uh, fantastic movie star of uh, rather creepy films like um, Get Out and more recently Nope. Um, also featured Nicola Coughlin, uh, best known for things like uh, Derry Girls and Bridgerton. So I was mixing down there in London at Audible Studios with the, the great and good of the performing professions. Um, but, you know, you know, life isn't all about sort of mixing with the, uh, the stars and the celebrities. Um, nothing gives me more pleasure as a creative artist than here in my deluxe studio here in Whiting Bay, um, performing stories solo and unplugged um, for the likes of you folks. Um, so that's what I'm doing here today. Uh, but also, um, maybe if, if you live in Arden, you'll be aware of this. Uh, my summer months were very, very busy. Uh, because I was performing live, a whole summer season of outdoor performances. Uh, last year, 2022, was Scotland's Year of Stories, as promoted by Visit Scotland. And with a little financial assistance, from Visit Scotland and with the close collaboration of the wonderful folks at Roots of Arran, led by Juliet. Um, Roots of Arran, who uh, maintain a beautiful traditional broad-leaved woodland on the slopes uh, in between Brodick and Lamlash here on the island. Well, with their collaboration, I gave basically a whole summer season of storytelling performances in the ancient woodland there turning it in effect to Aaron's very own outdoor theatre. For 12 weeks in the summer, I was doing four shows a week. Um, two shows of um, fairy tales aimed at, you know, audiences young and old, featuring some stories uh, that are presented here in the past in this format. And two evenings a week doing darker, spookier, creepier, Ghostlier tales, such as, for example, the tale of Arne's very own tale of the White Stag, which I've performed um, here for you folks in the past. Uh, but in particular, in the evenings, I was performing a, a new story. A new story which I call Dryad. What's a dryad, I hear you ask? 
What's a hammer dryad, even? Well, the story makes quite clear what exactly a dryad or a hammer dryad is. So, you know, do bear with me. So when I was performing, this was the most spectacular and grand of all the stories I was doing in my summer season. Uh, but the only catch with that is that, as with all my live storytelling, in spite of my work elsewhere as a writer, um, I don't work from a written script when I'm giving a live performance as a storyteller. I rehearse it, I work the whole story out in my head, I memorise it as a sequence of images, uh, but on the day in performance... A lot of the performance is improvised. I'm not working from a memorised script at all. I'm making up the words and the gestures as I, as I go along. The only catch with that, though it gives the performance perhaps a certain spontaneity, is that when the, the, my summer season was over, there in the woods, um, there was no written or no uh, record of, of, of the performance itself, of the story itself. Um, if I was to be hit with a, a, by, by a bus out there on the coast road, the story would be lost, lost forevermore, because I was just holding it in my own head and speaking off the cuff on the night. So I thought it might be nice in this format here um, to create a recorded, and in fact slightly elaborated version of that story, Dryad. So there would be a, a recorded version to be, to be held in perpetuity for posterity, as it were. So that's what I'm doing here. I'm performing a, a recorded uh, version of that story. And now, as I say, there's a slightly elaborated version of what I did in about an hour and a half up uh, in the evening performances last summer. Um, so I'm going to be doing it here in, in effect, in uh, five chapters. Or, given the dramatic nature of the performance, let's rather say five acts. A five-act drama, like Shakespeare, okay? So, um, I'm, and first time out, I'm just going to give you Act 1 of this story, Dryad. It's a story that is set in, well, let's just say a, a forest somewhere in Scotland. We will not specify the location. It's not here in Arran. Not here in Arran because, uh, for one thing, um, the, uh, what the story is built around is the idea that there's an ancient forest... But modern man has come along, modern man decides he wants a dual carriageway, a new modern road, a bypass, driven straight through the middle of this ancient forest, with all the destruction that will cause to the trees therein. Now here in Arden, we're not threatened at the moment as things stand with their dual carriageways. If they fix the potholes in the road, that would, that would be something. Um, and, you know, of our three roads, three real roads in the island, one of them, the Ross Road, I think at the moment is still closed. Um, so bypasses, dual carriageways are not really something we have to worry about um, too much. So we're not on our end, we're just somewhere in Scotland. Though I have to say there's a bit of maybe my uh, personal experience from several years ago um, worked into this story. Um, I grew up in the south side of Glasgow and well back in the 1990s um, they were clearing the way for the M77 road the M77 motorway down towards Ayr and um, the route of this road was intended to go straight through an ancient woodland in Pollock beautiful woodland down just on the fringe of one of the poorest parts of the, of the city of Glasgow and folk from that poorest part, the city from Pollock, um, they fought against the developers. They set up the Pollock Free State in the trees. 
and lived in the woodland and did what they could um, to protest against the developers coming in with their bulldozers and their chainsaws and what have you. Um, they did, alas, of course, lose, lose the battle because the, the M77 is there today, uh, just on the other side of the water from me here in, uh, here in uh, Whiting Bay. Uh, but they fought a valiant fight and I remember back in the day, mid-1990s as I say we're talking about, um, my sister lived out in Neilston, um, south of the city. And in the car travelling to and from my sister's house, we would often pass by the area of, at that time, still uncleared woodland. And there, you know, looking off to the left, you'd see the fires glowing, you'd see the signs, the placards up mounted in the trees. You'd see maybe the little tree houses that the protesters had, the signs for the Pollock Free State. And though my story is not set in Pollock, it's set much further out in the remote countryside. Maybe, you know, that, that played an influence on my creation of this story. Uh, but that's enough preamble, um, eh, enough prologue uh, to put us in the mood. I think having given you all that preamble, we'd better get on with telling you at least the first act. Act one of my story dryad. As I say, certainly by the time you've got to the middle of the story, you will begin to understand what the heck I mean by the word Dryad. In the meantime, yes, let's begin Act One. With the practised eye of the true security guard, that alertness to human face and behaviour, that sixth sense for who a person is, where that person is coming from, and what that person is likely to do next. Jim had already discerned that, that four, no, no, wait up, yeah, yeah, five other men sat on the little local branch train were making the journey for the same reason he was. Big, tough-looking guys, all sat on their own, all looking like they didn't have so very much to leave behind in making their way so far out into the wired countryside. And so it proved. When the train briefly pulled into the little station in the middle of nowhere, Jim found, yes, yes, those same five guys grabbing their luggage and lumbering down onto the platform alongside him. A wee man from the company was there, stood in the car park with a sign bearing the company logo, a clipboard at the ready for ticking off their names as they stepped forward. All right, boys, uh, get yourselves in your luggage there in the back of the wee minibus, right back behind me there. Yes, uh, just a wee short drive we got, just a short drive. On you go, get aboard. Jim climbed aboard, as did the others, and soon the wee man was steering the minibus out of the car park and onto the main street. Straight out into... into a traffic jam. A traffic jam gumming up the narrow main road of the town with supermarket vans, logging lorries and horn-tooting cars. They sat in the jam, inching forward for a well, a good ten minutes 
before finally reaching the end of the short street, at which point they were free to take a side road, accelerating onto higher ground. Where wind ruffled the surfaces of peaty bogs at the side of the road. Ahead, through the grimy window of the seat where Jim sat on his own, he began to make out a great wall of trees just ahead. The line of them seeming to reach out to him like a, like a broad-armed and familiar phantom. Then they were in a track among those trees, passing through a stretch where many trees had already been felled. Raw stumps and immense heaps of logs now merely punctuating a boggy wasteland, like a battlefield where the fight had been thoroughly lost. They briefly entered another band of denser trees before drawing into a clearing where caravans and porter cabins had been set in a circle to make Jim think of to think of old westerns seen on TV, where wagons were ringed against the Sioux on the warpath. The minibus drew to a stop and they all climbed out. The wee man who had met them again, uh, consulting his clipboard as he assigned them the caravans they would be staying in, uh, telling them who they would be sharing those caravans with, asking them to be back outside in... Um, Fifteen minutes, as uh, the gaffer would want to speak to them. Jim found himself assigned a caravan he would share with another security guard already arrived. Big Vinny, bald as a curling puck and muscled like the Ailsa Craig. Jim, as it turned out, knew Vinny from Glasgow, where their paths had crossed occasionally in the nightclub bouncing trade, though never very affectionately. Still, it was no better nor worse a set-up than Jim had anticipated. He gave Vinny a, a nod of recognition. Vinny nodded back, and that was all that was required for the time being. Jim dumped his baggage on a single bed, did some basic unpacking, then headed back out to reconvene with the other new arrivals, just as the heed bummer, Hardigan by name, a squat wee fella with thick black moustache, hard hat and high-vis jacket, stepped before them and pulled himself up to his full five feet nothing. Have all here, boys, he declared. Hope you had a good journey getting here. What's that? What's that I hear? Caught up in the traffic, were you? Doing there in the tune? Aye, aye. I'll just bet you were. Because turns out, boys, that's the reason for your being here. Because that tune down there has been getting a wee bit sick over the years about the road running through it being used as a shortcut, connecting one A road over here 
with another A road over there. Years of complaint have finally paid off. The Kunsot last stumping up the cash to build a bypass. A downright state-of-the-art dual carriageway all the way around the outside of the town. And this here is the route for it. Right up through this ugly old forest at the back of me here. On up the hill and down the other side. We are a wee bit space cleared on one side for a brand new hotel and leisure complex. Up there a ways. With all the jobs it'll bring to this uh, no exactly booming part of rural Scotland. And me and my team here, well, we are the boys appointed to put that new road in place. But we've had our problems, and that's why you guys have joined us. Come on with me, and we walk up the track, and I'll show you. Hardigan beckoned the little group into following him up the muddy track, which led from the clearing into denser, unbroken woodland. A wealth of broad-leaved trees soon stretching, deep as a green sea at either side of the track, gnarled and irregular of trunk, thick with interwoven leaves, far more irregularly spaced than the conifer plantations common in the Scottish landscape, with secretive little hollows appearing and disappearing in between. A few hundred yards further up the ascending track, Hardigan stopped, facing them again. Like I say, boys, we got problems. And then problems, I'll just bet you, are right around us, even as we stand here. You see them? Hear them? Their problems? No? No? Well, they're here all the same. Aren't you? Hardigan had turned and begun shouting seemingly at the at the tree trunks themselves and the leaf-rustling boughs stretching up and away from them. The wrinklings of the bark might, to be sure, here and there have suggested to those younger or less life-hardened than the men assembled grimacing faces of contorted wood. But all the same, the spectacle was at least faintly comic. I know you're there! Watching, listening, perched there like I don't know what, Hardigan went on, oblivious to having given any such impression. You see them, lads? You see them? No? No. I can't even either. No right at the moment. But they're there all the same. Wouldn't you know it, this day and age? Protesters. That's right, that's right. You know the type. Tree huggers, back to nature types, old school hippies, new age crusties, neo pagans, climate change hardliners, friends of the earth, greenpeace types. Oh well, some of them aren't that bad, maybe. Middle aged ladies with uh, subscriptions to the Guardian and a taste for politically correct quilt making. But there's others, mind. There are trouble, serious trouble, trouble for us. They've been giving us jip, 
Wind down in front of the heavy machinery of the JCBs, tying their cells, chaining their cells to the trees, climbing the branches, wobbing all kinds of rocks and rubbish down at my team when they're trying to do or do his work. Rubbish and well, well, sometimes worse than rubbish. For these types, they've got themselves camped out somewhere in all these miles and miles of forest, far from all the usual facilities which means they're digging themselves outdoor with trees, And well, making use of what they gather in them to fling down at my boys. Sometimes they plant great metal bolts in the trunks of the trees they supposedly love so much. So on comes one of my lads with his chainsaw. Starts cutting through, hits one of their metal bolts and well, well, recoil off of that. It's a wonder none of my men has lost a leg or an arm. But trouble it is, and it set us weeks behind schedule. Tens of thousands over budget. Sometimes, sometimes they'll even make up old school bows. Fire arrows at us. Arrows, like there was what, what Robin Hood and his merry men, and us the sheriff's men. What, arrows, well, well, blunt bits of branch anyway. Well, he pierce you like a real arrow, but still give you a, a hell of a hard smack and a bruise. Oh, there's a body armour back down there at the camp. I suggest you wear it daily. Oh, of course, of course. We made our appeal for help to the local polis. But have you seen the polis around here? Bunch of fat-arsed, grey-haired old-timers. Just couldn't the days till they claim their police pension. Nay help at all. Which is why we brought you in, boys. As muscle. Your job will to be go out with my lads every day when they do their duties with your eyes keen peeled. Trouble comes our way. You're here to sort it out like it needs sorting. Sorting it out so it stays sorted. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, now, hold on, hold on. I'm no asking you to get uh, too rough. Of course not, of course not. These woodsy wild types have their human rights after all, same as all of us. And they are just as sort to be aware of them. So I'm no asking you to do nothing that breaches their rights or the law of the land. The meanwhile, out here, this far from civilization, the strict letter of the law can, uh, well, maybe be uh, stretched a wee bit. You understand? And then stretched a wee bit more. And maybe, maybe just a wee bit beyond that. You get me? Get me? Oh, and if one of them supposedly so back-to-nature types tries to uh, catch you in his state-of-the-art smartphone, post the footage in TikTok, WhatsApp, YouTube, you just make sure yon phone gets accidentally, accidentally, mind you, knocked to the ground and trampled on. So it will only help boost no one's online profile or Kickstarter. Because however hard we have to push... We are pushing a new road through here, and no one's stopping us. You hear that? You freaks hovering in them trees. Roads going through, and no bastard stopping us. Knowing the muscle we got here now, you hear? Aye, aye, they here, wherever they are. All right, lads. That's the situation. That's what you're here for. And I always get you back doing the swap for some dinner and a good night's kip. 
for you starting out with my team first thing in the morning. Come on, lads. But even as they started back, <laughs> a cry resounded from further up the track. Looking that way, he saw a strange two-headed shape lurching erratically into view from out of the forest's green deeps. As it stumbled closer from out of leafy shadows, it became clear it was, in fact, two figures. Two men, both in hard hats and high-vis jackets, one supporting the other. The supported man hunched tight upon himself. The little group of security guards followed Hardigan in hastening towards these men, and as they drew closer, Jim could see that the hunched man had a great clump of red cloth wound about his hand, or, or, or no... No. As Jim strode closer still, it became clear the red cloth was in fact a white t-shirt. A white t-shirt soaked red. See here! See here, gaffer! It took three fingers off him! cried the more upright man. Oh, I got the fingers here, boss! They can uh, reattach them nowadays! Can't they? At this, the more upright man tugged from a pocket a packet for smoky bacon crisps. The packet seeming empty of crisps, but with three weightier, stickier objects bouncing about within as he shook the packet demonstratively. I, I, um, responded Hardigan. Well, um, you better get him... Down the hill, sharpish. Uh, call an ambulance. If the ambulance will only be here in ten minutes flat, well, you you just uh, uh, get him in a car, uh, drive him to yon cottage hospital yourself. In the meantime, uh, yeah, um, shove the fingers in the fridge, uh, uh, freezer compartment. Aye, aye. Uh, but watch mine, we get uh, uh, fish fingers in there already and um, pork sausages. Uh, uh, watch you don't get them confused or, or, or no one will be happy. The two figures lurched past, the wounded man giving strained gasps. Did I no tell you, lads, cried Hardigan. This, this here is what I was talking about. One of them metal bolts in the tree trunk, was it? Recoil with a chainsaw, just like I was telling you, boys. No, 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 but boss, gasped the wounded man as he went by. <laughs> Wasn't it the chainsaw? It was... It was the tree, the, the, the tree, it, the tree, it was, the, the, the tree, but my fingers off, the tree. Ah, uh, yeah, well, sit hard again as the figures went by. Uh, you hear that, uh, delirious, uh, poor bastard. All right, well, uh, you see what we're up against here. Uh, why we need the muscle you're here to provide. Okay, um, get yourselves back down to the camp. Get yourself some dinner. Uh, there's burgers, sausages, oh, uh, well, uh, fish fingers, likewise. Uh, lasagna too. Uh, just uh, watch where you put your hands in that freezer compartment. And, and be ready for coming back up here. Seven sharp in the morning. 
The group followed Hardigan back down the track. All of them, that is, except Jim, who stepped back and to the side, behind the nearmost tree trunk and into the shadow of that tree. He had gone through much of his life without attracting much attention and did so now. The little group, passing from sight at the slope's lower end, without his absence among them having been visibly noticed. After the lower shadows of the deepening evening had claimed them entirely, Jim lingered a moment longer and then turned and continued up the track into deeper forest yet. He had not gone much further before he sensed a movement at his back. A leafy rustle. The snap of a twig and turned swiftly, struggling to, to, to contrive the excuse he would make to whichever member of the team had come to query his making himself so scarce. But it, but it was no workman or security guard who approached, but a, but a boy or young man. Sixteen or so at a glance, dressed in a scruffy-looking school uniform, blazer off and hooked by a finger over one shoulder, one strap of a small rucksack strung over the other shoulder, tie pulled loose about the unbuttoned shirt collar, as if it were some balmy day in late spring and not an autumnal evening. Indeed, there was a bright, clear light about the boy's figure, in contrast to the deepening gloom everywhere else. Jim stepped to one side, eyes tight upon the boy, who walked straight past him and on up the forest slope without any return of that stare, any recognition of Jim's presence. Jim kept his eyes upon the figure as it ascended to the next bend of the wooded track and, and disappeared like a ghost. Or, more precisely, a, a memory. Jim's memory of his very own self all those years before. Jim hesitated a second over any further move, but then, having come all this way after all this time, he continued upwards, up into deeper shadows, amid more sibilant rustlings of breeze-stirred leaves, richer scents of dampish earth and foliage. It was becoming dark indeed, seriously dark, when he caught another, sharper rustling off to his right. Looking that way, he saw nothing at first but a rich stir of green leaves caught by the last glow of twilight. But then, from amid that ripple of leaf and bush, he saw another, different figure step forward. A figure 
robed or was it cloaked and certainly hooded in a green that, like the boy seen just before, seemed to carry its own glow with it. The fabric like a like a soft lace to which innumerable leaves and bits of twig and pine needle had stuck. The figure brushed and rustled its way closer. A face emerging from the shadows of the hood that very definitely returned his stare. It was the face of a woman. A smooth, slender face with, in the half-light, a yellowish glow about it. A pallid smile on its lips. Stray strands of chestnut red hair straying about it from under the hood. The figure stretched forth a hand gloved in what looked like a, a velvet of olive green. The cloth lush of texture as if it were moss. The fingers of that hand curled upon themselves as if beckoning him closer. He found his steps inching towards her, off the track, into the rough grasses and mosses at the foot of the trees, a sweet fragrance thick about him to, to match the sweet stare and smile of the beckoning woman. The woman he, he suddenly supposed he might have seen somewhere before. Where? When? She beckoned him on, her own steps now seeming to shift backward, as if to begin leading him deeper still into the trees. A fallen twig snapped sharply under his tread. Oh there! You're not here to murder me, are you? The bellowing cry came from some other direction. Jim had to uh, glance this way and that before his eye settled on a, on a great broad-shouldered figure, stomping his way through the trees, a head torch gleaming from the front of what must have been a hard hat. I'm saying, you're no here to murder me, are you? What? muttered Jim, looking back towards the woman in green, but, but she was gone the leaves amid which she had stood turning from green to an inky grey as twilight gave up the ghost and became the first full moments of night. Had she been there at all? The other figure was very definitely there. Stomping closer, Jim could make out a great figure in high-vis jacket and hard hat a chainsaw held in one hand and balanced across the shoulder above. The figure had a great wily beard, and what could just be made out is a, a beaming smile upon the broad face. I mean, I say, you're, a, you're no one of these protesters, are you? said the figure. Here to do away with me for a cutting down a few trees back there. What? said Jim. No, no, uh, no, no uh, I'm with the... I know, I know. I'm just messing with you. 
You know, they look to me like one of them uh, tree huggers. You'll be, uh, let me guess, one of these uh, security boys they brought up for doing Glasgow way. Uh, y- yes, said Jim. Um, th- that's me, uh, s- security from from, from yes, uh, yes from from Glasgow. Mind, uh, you didn't sound like Glasgow, said the big man. Sound like you're more from um, uh, like from up around here, in fact. Uh, no, 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 uh, uh, G- Glasgow. I'm from. Jim insisted. Um, south side of Glasgow. Oh, uh, well, what would I know? I'm Big Sandy, by the way, chief of the works team, tree surgeon. Though I confess, no all my patients survive. Are you for a wonder? It's up for getting dark this time of day. Oh, y- y- yes. Um, uh, I was just uh, wandering. Yeah, yeah. You know of what navy like this before? I'll say. What? Oh no. Uh, no, I, I've never, never been um, anywhere like this. Me neither, funnily enough. I mean, I've been working with trees my whole life long. Trees are what I'm all about. Trees are my trade. But I never met trees like the trees round here. Funny. Funny, really, you spend all day hacking through them. Come back the next day and, well, well it's like the same trees have sprouted up fresh overnight. Optical illusion, I'm sure. So many trees here aboots. All the same, well... No. Anyway, you'll be heading for back doing the camp if you've any sense. Oh, uh... uh yes, said Jim. Uh, I, I just, um... Like I say, just, um... Uh, wandered off the track a bit. Never you mind the track, said Sandy. You follow me. Even in this murk I know a shortcut. Uh, come on. Jim stepped alongside Sandy as the big man marched on among the ever-darker trees and bushes with the keenness of a mole-burrowing black earth. And as they went, Sandy chattered away. They'll warn you all about the protesters, eh? Aye, well, well, they're no so bad, no really. Tree huggers, well, well, everybody needs a hug. That's my philosophy. Uh, Just, um, Watch you wear your body armour, mind, in case they go uh, firing them blunt arrows at you. Uh, but my real advice would be, well, my real advice would be, didn't he let them talk to you? Yon was my mistake. One day, oh, well, a few weeks ago it was, no, about this time of day it was. I'd worked on a wee bit late, out here all of my tod, the rest of the boys heading back doing the track. And, well... Well, there was one of them, one of the protesters, up there in them trees, perched there, you know, face painted green like, I don't know, a Peter Pan or Apocalypse now. Oh, uh, I know, flinging or firing nothing my way, just, just whispering, whispering to me about this forest here. It's history. It's prehistory even, and well, well, Muggins here, he goes ahead and listens. And later that night he heads down into the pub in the tune. Oh, only place round here you'll get decent Wi-Fi, by the way. And muggins the ears, he checks it all up in Wikipedia. Turns out it was true. Or so the bloody internet would tell you. Turns out, see, this, this here, isn't he any old normal sort of a forest?
We back in the day, or so they say, it was a secret place to the, well, can you believe it? Can you believe it? They actually existed, apparently. The Druids held sacrifices here, they say. Sacrifices to, well, I don't know, tree gods, spirits, whatever. There's a story even about a, a troop of Roman soldiers took a risk and creeping up over the Antonine Wall back down Glasgow way. And they came up here to uh, take a wee look, have a wee shifted round. Well, them Roman soldiers, they uh, vanished. And a while later, another bunch of Romans comes up here to see what's happened to the first bunch of soldiers. And well, that second lot of Romans finds the first lot. Aye. Aye. Finds them right about here, in fact. Hanging from the trees they were. Their berries slit wide. Their entrails hanging down. Swinging between their anchors. What the birds and the insects had left of them anyway. Well, that second set of Romans, they skedaddles away back behind yon Antonine wall. And does not come back here again. And in the years and the centuries that passed, well, this place here kept getting a reputation. Kind of reputation you might expect, maybe, place that it is. Stories. Stories of, well, you know, fairies, ghosts, witches, folk disappearing and never being seen again. A lot of nonsense, obviously, but, um, well, here we are. And see how dark it's getting around us. Feel how the place feels. And sometimes down there in the camp of a night, well, you sit in your caravan and the breeze gets the branches scraping the metal roof and you think to yourself, well, well, never mind what you gets to thinking. Anyhow, let's, uh, Let's get down there and uh, grab some dinner before it's all gone. They continued on through a dark meshing so dense about them. Jim could only hope the big fella knew where he was going. His own gaze roved what was now no more than the, the tightly packed shadows of trees. Partly he had to privately confess to see if that woman garbed in green might reappear. But what he saw was smaller and, even amid the obscurity, stark white. Startlingly so. Oh, oh, oh hold on, hold on, wait, 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 wait a minute, he said. Wait a minute. Are, are you messing with me? What? said Sandy, likewise stopping. Listen, listen, all the stuff you've been peddling me about, all the stuff about blood sacrifices and fairies and all that nonsense, said Jim. Listen, tell me straight, is it a wind-up? You know, take the piss out the new boy. Send him out for a tin of elbow grease or some tartan paint. Well, I don't know what you're on about, Sandy replied. That... Now, look, look, over there, up there, in the branch of that tree. Tell me straight. 
Is that up there supposed to be? Is it supposed to be a skull? What? said Big Sandy, tugging the head torch off his helmet and shining it past Jim's shoulder in the direction indicated. The tight little circle of light latched onto the object in question, which blazed from the gloom. Indeed, very much like a skull's hard white dome. Bloody hell, cried Sandy, before collecting himself, squinting harder and and breaking into a broad smirk. <laughs> skull! Skull man! You're the one winding me up now! A skull? No, 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 no! Look, look, look! It's a hard hat! And this helmet I'm wearing right here! One of my team's gone and left his helmet hung up there in the tree. Uh, you better get it back. Uh, 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 Gaffer doesn't like us losing kit out here in the field. Uh, hold on, you stand there. I'll get it. I'll get it. Sandy stomped across and made a reach for the helmet. But even on tiptoe and with arm at full stretch above his head, his, his plump fingertips only faintly brushed the sneered plastic. My, but it's up a hell of a height, he said. Even a little upward jump did no more than jostle the plastic uselessly against the branches. Oh, there, young fella, said Sandy, turning back to Jim. Uh, you look fitter than me. Uh, come on, over here, geese a hand, get this thing down. Uh, stand back, you need to stand back, said Jim. Uh, leave it to me. Jim strode forward, stretching on his own tiptoes and reaching up his own upstretched fingers, only just tapping the hard hat's rim, but he, but, he, but he caught a lower branch with his free hand, drove the tip of one boot into a gnarled socket in the trunk, gaining leverage to raise himself further and fix at least the, the furthermost stretch of his fingers around the helmet's rim, turning it about in an attempt to tear it free of those upper twigs. As he did this, the side of the helmet was turned more sharply into the glare of Sandy's torchlight. Oh, wait, wait, what's that there on the side? Sandy asked. What's that there? Uh, it, it isn't blood, is it? Jim squinted. Bl blood? Hold, hold on, no, 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 it, it's not blood, it's, it's just a marker pen. Red marker pen. Uh, <laughs> I can read it now. Somebody's idea of a joke. Uh, yeah, here is a chainsaw massacre, it says. Oh, wait, 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 said Sandy. Wait, hold on. You know whose hat that is? It's Tass's. Tass's, Thomas Arthur Sutherland, big Tass. Uh, listen, young fella, uh, never mind the hard hat for a moment. Just you, uh, just, no, never mind. Just take a look round the other side of that tree. Sandy was now shining his torch beam about the undergrowth nearby, albeit with a plain reluctance to turn his own face fully that same way. Now you tell me straight, young fella, is there a dead body down there somewhere? A, 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 a what? said Jim, glancing about the low bushes and dead wood, the thistles and mosses and sprouting mushrooms of that section of forest floor. Is there... Is there is he doing there, Deed? What, what are you talking a, a dead body? No, no, no. No, there's no, there's no dead body. Sandy grunted with relief. Well, 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 that's something. Did they tell you about Tass? Big Tass? 
No, no, I'll bet they didn't. Tass, Thomas Arthur Sutherland, well, Tass is the reason you're here. He'd tree surgeon he was before me. Big, friendly fella. But just about three weeks ago, he got up one night, down there in the camp, walked out the porter cabin, and disappeared into the trees. Hasn't he been seen since? Oh, we had the police route, searching the woods here high and low. Priest dogs getting a sniff of Tass's soiled underpants just to get the scent. But no sign of him did they find. So what his helmet's doing, Sunday, hanging there in plain sight, I do not know. But anywho, sitting in them caravans of a night, branches scraping the metal roof, some of us got to well, well, you know, wondering out loud. I mean, among these protesters, there's some, there's some weird types, you know. It's no all just the Greater Thunberg fan club, you know. There's weird kind of, well, I don't know, well, like they say, uh, neo-pagans. Neo-druids, even. And what if some among them, uh, some of us got to thinking, what if some among them, knowing the history of this place, what if they thought to themselves, well, what if they thought, well, maybe it's time for bringing some of them old customs back. Sacrifice and that. Human sacrifice. Oh, of course not, of course not. Of course, this day and age, why, 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 why they wouldn't they get away with it? Or the same. Big tasks. Where did he go? Well, that's enough of that. Uh, come on, anyway, anyhow, can you get that helmet done? Y yeah, yeah, just just a moment, said Jim, making another upward lurch, catching the hard hat more firmly, wriggling it free of the spiky branches and beginning to, to, to lower it. Got it, got it. Here it comes, here it comes, right here, see you. <laughs> and lowering it. He had turned the helmet upside down, revealing to the glint of the torch beam what lay curled within, uncurling his way, raising its head and bearing its fang. Jim hurled the hard hat from him. It bounced, 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 and then settled, still upside down on the forest floor. From inside there, writhed a line of beaded darkness which snaked its way out of the helmet entirely and then wriggled and slithered off across the forest floor losing itself in a clump of thistles. Oh that! That said Sandy! Oh, that, that, that's just an adder! A viper! Snake, you know. Uh, plenty of them are in here. Uh, poisonous, of course, but uh, more scared of us than uh, we are of them. Uh, just uh, keep an eye out. Mind, mind you. You don't usually get them up in the branches like yon. We're likely to be doing in the undergrowth, like you, like you just saw. 
Anywho, that's, a, that's enough drama for one night, don't you think? I'll take the hat, thank you. Name your snakes in it? No, no, uh, good, good. Right, well, let's get done and get some dinner at last. Sandy took the hat and led him on through further undergrowth and further trees. Jim's eyes helplessly roving for further slitherings of snakes until they glimpsed the glow of the camp's lights on the slope below. Told you it was a shortcut, Sandy said. Even as they took their last steps towards the camp's glow, a sharp rustle at Jim's back made him turn again. Was that at the sheerest edge of visibility in a wood so sunk in darkness? The woman robed, hooded, cloaked in green again, looking his way with that pale glint of face, again beckoning with a velvet green glove. Oh, big man, we're, we're there, see, just right down there. This was Sandy calling back to him. Jim looked to Sandy, looked back then to the forest dark. The, that darkness now gave nothing away. They continued into the camp. Sandy handed the hard hat into Hardigan, who uh, uh, said he would uh, notify the, the police in the morning, and who then, when Sandy was gone, buried the hat in the deepest drawer of his filing cabinet. There had been delays enough already. In the caravan assigned to Jim, Vinnie was sat up, smoking a toke while watching pornography and monster truck pile-ups on his laptop. Muttering under his breath, uh, bear a sort of a greeting. Jim climbed into his bed and tried his best to sleep. To sleep without remembering too hard. And that, folks, is the end of Act 1 of our story, Dryad. In Act 2, we shall venture both uh, literally and figuratively deeper into this dark and mysterious forest. I hope you can be here to join me for that. In the meantime, folks, thank you for listening.